Welcome everyone to the Ken Hill Podcast. I'm Ken Hill. My goal with the podcast is to share the techniques and habits of what the best motorcycle riders in the world do to thrive and survive in a sport that has consequences. Using my 20 plus years of riding and training at the highest levels, I wanna make these techniques and habits accessible to every rider in the world. The podcast structure is deliberate. I don't have sponsors. The duration relative to many other podcasts is short, making it simple to listen multiple times, and I only release a new podcast when I feel I have something to share. I'm not cranking out podcasts because my sponsors say I need to. You listeners are my sponsors, and I appreciate the donations, which can be made via the podcast page on my website, khcoaching.com. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to the Ken Hill Podcast. This is your host, Ken Hill. No intro today for the Ask Me Anything podcast. No real need to have an intro, so we're just gonna, we'll just jump right into it. And uh, we'll start off with a little bit of housekeeping. So first part of housekeeping is, yeah, send your questions in. Uh, I'm gonna answer four or five questions today. And I still got uh, a few more, a bunch more to answer, but uh, send your questions in. Uh, I really like doing these, and uh, there's a lot of times the topics that I'm covering um, can be a little, can be obviously pretty deep, uh, but there's a lot of things out there that you might have questions about. So send your questions in, and it's as simple as emailing me at kenhillpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, pretty simple. And the second housekeeping is. Uh, I'm sure if you've watched any of my other stuff online, you've seen uh, some visibility with me and Racers 360 or Blaze coaching. Racers 360 is now Blaze. And Blaze is going to be a little bit of a bigger part of, of my portfolio this coming year. And what Blaze coaching is about is it's online coaching. So it's a place where you can send your videos, you can send your data and create your own profile, create your own library of um, your content, your reviews, all in one place uh, to see. So it's gonna be a little bit of a bigger part of it. And, and I've, joined, I've joined Blaze, I've been actually with Blaze quite a while, over two years, and I've watched what, what they've become, and it, honestly, it's, it, I, I really like it. It's all about individualization. And it's all about you and your needs what, and, and bringing out the fundamentals that we have and catering them to, to you. So you'll see more stuff with Blaze. I'm not gonna get into a big thing with it, but um, it's gonna be a place where I'll have quite a big library of fundamentals, uh, videos. Um, these, are, these are more videos that'll be uh, a little bit uh, more interactive, and they're also going to be having drills. So the goal is to have a lot of that done by the end of the year. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of all the housekeeping that I have right there. So let's just dive into um, let's just dive into the questions. So the first question that I have um, from uh, Mark is, uh, as the passing rider, what? What's the better course of action if you've misjudged what the slower rider is going to do? Um, should you break a rule when maybe you shouldn't be as close as you want to be? 
Um, or do you brake super hard? Do you swerve around them? Um, you know, what do you do in uh, a, a track day scenario? I think it's a great question, and it, it's a tough one, but boy, it, it is an important one because passing is still an issue. And, and pa honestly, bad passes are contributing to, to ruining the, I don't want to say they're ruining our sport, but they're, they're ruining positive experiences with our sport. Our sport has so much great, many great things to offer, but yet passing is still an issue. And as a track day uh, company owner, co-owner, um, yeah, this is the this still continues to be the biggest issue that we deal with during during track days. So I, I'd like to look at at passes this way. So we'll we'll talk a little bit in the in the macro and then bring it back. I, I look at passes this way. Where's the rider going to be when I pass them, and and what is the speed delta? So. If you have an unpredictable rider, yeah, that makes it, of course, it makes it very hard, but thinking back, it's like, okay, if I go for the pass, where is that rider going to be when I, when I pass them? And I think that is a little bit of the, of the thing that we have to take a look at, and as you get more experience, you, you'll figure out, just based on the rider's inputs, body position, where they're turning in, where they're exiting, where they're actually going to be, in a couple of seconds um, before before they actually get there. And that just takes some time to figure out. So first step is I, I look at um, where the rider's gonna be when when I pass them, and then of course what the speed delta is. Is it a rider that's that's close to my speed? Is that a big, big speed delta? And that makes the time at risk um, a little bit a little bit uh, less. In this particular in this particular case, it's dynamic and in, in not knowing the, the full context of what's going on, if I came up on this rider and maybe I was a faster rider in this particular group and I came up on this rider, um, I would I'd kind of have an inventory of the riders that were behind me. And if I was unsure that this rider was, going, was very unpredictable and going to make an unsafe um, maneuver, then, and, and I knew that I had clear track behind me, more than likely, I probably, I hate to say that, I'd hit the brakes pretty hard, but yeah, I'd probably, you know, try to avoid what's, try to avoid them, try to avoid their unpredictability. If I knew that there's riders behind me, I'd probably give a little bit of a signal with, and people that have ridden me, ridden with me, have seen me do this, that I'm going to um, communicate where I'm going to pass, by literally turn signal of my finger. So I might take my finger off and point to the left, I might turn my, my, hand, my hand to the right and let people know my intention of where I'm going to, to pass. So if I think that I can get by this rider with, without a lot of time at risk, and it goes by the rules of, okay, is the rider coming towards me? Well, if I think that there's still a pretty good gap as the rider's coming towards me, I might make the pass, put my hand up. So. It is a tough one, and not knowing the full uh, the full context is uh, is difficult. But I would say that one think about where the rider's going to be when you pass them. Is the rider coming towards you when that's happening? And then again, what the, what is the what is the speed delta? So, if the rider's not coming towards you, or you don't think they're going to be coming towards you, then I think the pass is fine. Um, if you if they're unpredictable and you're not sure 
and you can't quite trust what they're doing, it might be better to back off. So tough question, but a very good question. And I think we should be spending more time talking about passing. The problem is, is that each pass is its own individual, uh, own individual deal. So, all right. Next question uh, from Matt. Um, his questions regarding riding styles. Riding styles have gotten more extreme in recent years in terms of rider positioning hanging off the bike. Do you see this as a general evolution in rider performance or do the benefits of the style only apply to GP racing? So I see this as an evolution of faster lap times regardless of whether it's MotoGP, Moto America, etc. And We'll talk about you know these. This evolution of things are, is looped, <laughs> so things that weren't weren't happening as as they start to hold um, development back, suddenly come back into play. And honestly, we saw some of this. Um, there's a couple of great examples of this. There's a bunch of great recent examples. The one was when Marquez went came into MotoGP, and as his style of a little bit more entry speed and more body more body position earlier, more body position in the middle of the corner to carry more um, speed in the middle of the corner. Uh, coming from Moto2, we started really to see that development of more extreme uh, body positions. And more, more and more riders had to adapt to it. Now, the flip side to that is Marquez also had realized that he had to get the bike slowed a lot earlier uh, to get the bike picked up for the exits. And that's something that took him a while to, to figure out as well. But the idea is, think about it, if he, if he was able to, to retain the Moto2 entry in middle of the corner, but then have a MotoGP exit, win-win, right? So that's the type of development we're seeing. And now, because we're, we're getting more things going on with the bike that they're able to carry more pace, lap times are coming down, um, grip, I won't say grip is necessarily getting better, grip is changing with tire development. Um, they're being more extreme with their body because that's where a lot of development is and that's where a lot of lap time is coming from. And it's not just MotoGP, right? If you look at even in the beginning of this, this 22 season, you're even seeing it with Johnny Ray, right? Johnny Ray had a little bit more of an upright style, but you're seeing him lower earlier and you're seeing more riders honestly looking like MotoGP riders in the you know top 10 of, uh, of world superbike so yeah it's just a natural evolution of of lap times and um yeah i think that uh you we are seeing a change i think we're seeing a big change i think we're actually we're seeing a fundamental change in in moto gp um honestly starting in 20 2020 late 2020 um, I think we're seeing a lot of changes uh, in the sport uh, with, with bike development and, and even, even rider development. So, all right, there you go. Um, next question is, ha, um, what was it like racing uh, AMA Superbike as a privateer? Uh, this is from, uh, from Mark. And yeah, I mean, I spent a few years doing that. And um, it, in, in some ways it wasn't a lot different than what you see today. It was just, there was more privateers out there. Um, the races that I did, typically we would see 32 people on a, on a superbike grid. And, but this is also back when there was 
probably 14 to 17 factory riders because you had a factory team. So for instance, you had factory Honda and then you had say Aryan Racing and then you might have Yosh Suzuki, but then you'd have two or three development teams with Suzuki. Um, and, and even, even Yamaha as well, the factory Yamaha team. So yeah, there was, there was a lot going on back there. And there was the bottom line is there was the same kind of idea as, as now, uh, there was just a lot, a lot less. And yeah, just, it's no different than today, right? You're at that point, you're, you're worried about making the grid. You're worried about getting lapped. Um, even though you still might be, still might be at a, a great pace. And I was, I was certainly worried about that as well. And, uh, luckily it worked out pretty well for me. So, yeah. So I, I guess it's not all that different than it is now. It's just, it was multiplied, um, where you'd have maybe 40 guys in Superbike, you know, trying to qualify. Uh, they were only taking 32, um, and again, there was just more of a factory, a factory presence uh, at that um, at that time. So, yeah, I don't think it's all that different. Um, there's there's just a lot, a lot more of it. So, all right, some more questions. All right, we have. Um, wow, this is a great one too. I want to get involved in national level racing, but I don't have the funds or talent to race myself. How else can I participate? What a, what a great question, right? Because and, and honestly, this is how a lot of us started out. This is, this is actually how I started out at a national level. Um, I was uh, racing at a club level, doing okay. And um, I was asked to help crew chief for um, kind of a privateer uh, and help this guy. And that was doing all the nationals and uh, ended up being a gig where um, it was on going to Valvoline Suzuki. Then I ended up going with Attack uh, Kawasaki for a little bit as, as crew chiefing. And this is, uh, this is in the um, very, very early 2000s. So yeah, I think the way to do it is volunteer uh, to be on a crew. So whether you're pushing a broom, you're shuffling, shuffling tires, volunteer to be on a crew. And it's something where you may not necessarily get paid, um, and I would certainly try to do it at your local round. So maybe, um, there's no cost to the team as far as, uh, your logistics, but volunteer to be on a volunteer to, to be on a crew. And you'd be surprised at, at, um, how much help is needed and honestly, fairly, typically fairly receptive. So I think that's a great start. Um, also volunteer to help to help with a, with a vendor. Um, there's a lot of uh, vendors that go to all the nationals that, and, and whether it's suspension or tires or parts, they too need help. And it's a great way just to get connected, uh, connected with the sport. And you'll meet a lot of contacts um, if, if bottom line is if, uh, if you're there. And I would say the last way is um, get on um, the race organization's staff whether it's corner worker, corner, being a corner worker maybe, or maybe it's just being somebody that's helped setting up the day. Um, maybe it's just helping out with um, uh, Moto America with tire stickers. What, there's a lot of, of staff that's needed to run these things and you get close up action to everything. Um, so yeah, I think that there's, there's some really great opportunities to, uh, to get involved. So, 
All right, yeah, God, what a great way. It's, it, it is such a great, great way to get into it. And um, last question. Um, how do I have a long duration in this sport? And I, boy, I agree with this statement. I don't meet very many people who have been riding at the track for 10, 15, or 20 years. Yeah, um, it is a problem, right? So we have a, um, a very cyclical sport. People are in and out of the sport quite a bit and for, for a variety of reasons. And I think, I think when, I, when I look at this, and, and um, I wasn't so guilty of it, of thinking of it as a hobby. I thought of it as a sport. And I think there lies the problem is a lot, of, a lot of people will look at this as a hobby versus a sport. And it's easy, a hobby you may not be taking, um, taking it so seriously. Um, a hobby you may not be developing the correct processes to, to improve. Uh, I see that a lot. Is I, I'm not improving anymore, this is dumb. Um, I wanna go faster, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I got a new pipe or whatever, and I got a new bike, and I'm just not really going any faster, so I'm out. And realize that, that again, they're not, they're not looking at it as a sport, and I unfortunately see this, this quite, a, quite a bit. So how do we stay in the sport longer? Think of it as a sport. Um, as soon as you think about it as a sport, you develop a whole different understanding of it, which is thinking of yourself as an athlete. And in, in, in my other podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about um, the elements of an athlete, and you can work on each one of those, those other things. And I think that there's a, there's a couple other things that's, that's worth mentioning, is to have a long, a long time in the sport, right? To have a long-term uh, relationship with the sport. It, it's, it's understanding, it's really hard. It's really hard and you can't make the highs too high and you can't make the lows too low. I've had the lowest of lows, I've had the highest of highs, and it's acknowledging them, but it's not, it's not, it's not living at, at that level for too long. And, um, it, but yeah, it's hard. And the sooner you acknowledge that it's hard, actually the easier uh, it becomes. So um, I would say a couple more things. How to stay in the sport, uh, how to stay in the sport longer is acknowledging that the sport has consequences. And if you don't respect them, they're gonna punch you in the face. And um, I think everybody thinks it's not gonna happen to them. I'm not gonna fall down. My motor's not gonna blow up, um, whatever. It, 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 I hate to say this, but if you're, if you're you know, going to a track day, if you're going racing, you have to be ready for those things to happen. And if you haven't acknowledged that, that they can happen, then that's gonna be a pretty big blow to you, um, whether physically or financially. And you have to be ready for that and you have to be ready to acknowledge it. So yeah, mitigating, mitigating, um, mitigating for those consequences is hard. It really is. Nobody wants to acknowledge these things, but we need to acknowledge them. And I've got some great podcasts um, that you can refer to back uh, on those as well. The other one that you might, might surprise you is separate, separate your riding from the bike. And 
again, you've heard me talk about this, right? Separate your, your, your rider development from your bike development. They're two different things. And if you do that, you would be surprised how, um, how much fun this sport can be. I'll give you an example. Is, um, if, you're, if, if you don't have a big budget, but you wanna ride a lot, and you wanna work on your riding, get yourself a Ninja 400. Buy yourself a used Ninja 400, throw some Q3s on it with a few little mods, and you're gonna have a bike for four grand that you can ride for literally two years without touching it. And I mean, yes, you've gotta put tires and do maintenance on it, I get it. But you can work on so many different things, even with a bike like that, and at a very, very low cost, cost, of, um, cost of entry. And it'll give you all the riding development that you need, whether it's with your vision skills or your braking or your body positioning, whatever it might be. And so if you acknowledge, you know what? That's part of rider development. I'm not worried about bike development. I don't have to touch the bike. I can ride it and then work on my stuff. And then bike development, great. Choose the time, choose the, t the appropriate time and the appropriate um, testing windows to work on bike development. I get bike development is fun, bolting parts on is awesome. I get it, I'm just as guilty. But when I go and test, I am testing for, for bike development. So it may affect my lap times, I may go slower. If I go faster and that's part of the, you know, the, the evolution, great. But I set up specific time to test and I don't let that slide into my rider development. When we blend those two things together, dude, I put a shock in my bike and I'm two seconds slower. Okay, well, I mean, where's the setup on that shock? And how's the setup on that shock in relationship to the fork? What are your testing conditions? And uh, so on, so on. So make sure you separate um, your riding from your bike. So, all right, there you go. Here's, uh, we'll, we'll, I've got a whole nother blanket of questions that we'll do, but I uh, um, hope you enjoyed this one. All right, thanks so much. Ken Hill Podcast, 2021, all rights reserved.